Welcome to the 216th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Kay Kenyon, science fiction and fantasy author and the author of the brand new novel, At the Table of Wolves. Stay tuned for my interview with Kay Kenyon. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Kay Kenyon. Kenyon's newest novel, At the Table of Wolves, is published today. Kenyon's previous novels include Maximum Ice, The Braided World, and The Entire and the Rose Quartet. Kay, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Jeff. Really happy to be here. Sure. Well, can you read the first couple of pages of At the Table of Wolves? This is an early scene from At the Table of Wolves. In this scene, uh, Kim Tavistock is a guest at a grand English home, along with a handsome German, supposedly a businessman, named Eric von Ritter. Her hostess is Georgiana. In this scene, Kim and von Ritter are in a gazebo on a spit in the river near the house and are stranded by the rising water. Using her talent for hearing the truth, most people wish to hide a talent called a spill. She learns a key code phrase about a German military operation, Chorister. They also discuss how the recent outbreak of paranormal abilities called the Bloom will affect world affairs. I love this scene because it's the first time that Kim is alone with the man who will become her adversary, an elegant and charismatic German spy. Clotted fog rolled down the river, enclosing them in whiteness. It's freezing out here, Kim said. Von Ritter unbelted his trench coat. Take my coat. You'll be cold, she protested, but cigarette dangling from her lips, she shrugged into the trench coat. As they sat on the bench, Von Ritter draped the slicker over both of them, and with his arm around her shoulders, warmth returned. She was acutely aware of their shoulders touching, the intimacy of the shared garment. They smoked, listening to the river rushing by. Von Ritter seemed content to enjoy a cigarette, but silence was against her purpose. How do you happen to know Georgiana? Kim asked. We met in Bonn when she was on holiday, and by chance we were both on the same train down the Rhone Gorge. He turned to regard her. Are you warm enough? Here, come closer, or we will never make it to luncheon. I thought you said one hour, she chided, but sidled into him. Heat radiated beneath the raincoat, but whether it came from him or was a flush of her own, she could not tell. He went on. Georgiana has the German viewpoint, very forward-thinking, unlike some of your countrymen. I can't pretend to agree. No. I should not like you to pretend. Is the water rising, she asked, trying to see the spit through the gazebo door. I cannot tell from here. I would have to get up from our snug nest to see, he said good-naturedly. After a few minutes, Kim ventured, There may be a war, your country and mine. It need not come to that. He adjusted his arm around her shoulder. Lean into me, for warmth. It does no harm until we are enemies. 
It was only sharing a rain slicker in a storm, and even if he was a Nazi, he could hardly be motivated to throw her in the river. We do not need a war of arms. It is rather a war of ideas, he said. We are on the eve of a great change, Miss Tavistock. The bloom. It has changed everything. It is a new regime, hovering so close we do not think to look up to see it envelop us. The rain crackled on the gazebo roof, streaming down off the eaves. We don't know what it will really mean for any of us, she said. It means that great men will rise. Does it? It means that great leaders will become prophets of change. They have such a man in Germany. He glanced sideways at her, whatever you may think of us. He flicked his cigarette into the river. In this country, you have no great men. Churchill is a 19th century throwback, still yearning for empire. The bloom has brought us to a new level. Men of high talent who direct destinies. Choristers, if you will. Choristers? He paused as a gust of wind brought a torrent of staccato pattering on the roof. A figure of speech. Such an interesting word. Is it? Yes, as though we're all singing the same song. She added, trying for an ironic tone, Deutschland über alles. Perhaps, but a chorister will bring you down. She had not heard the word before and thought that perhaps he had used the wrong English word. Do you mean Hitler? He is a chorister? No. One of your own, he said. Someone listening hasn't heard about At the Table of Wolves yet. How would you describe your new novel? It's a story of the interwar years in England in 1936 uh, when... Psy talents have come into the world and are both highly uh, desired and highly suspect, and they are being used in a shadow war to fight the Nazis. And do you remember the original idea or impetus for At the Table of Wolves? Yes, I do. I I was reading uh, the William Manchester uh, series of biographies of Winston Churchill. And I just fell in love with the 30s. And since uh, there's so much historical fantasy, uh, but people are always looking for a new time period to explore and introduce magic. And I thought the 30s was one that had not been very well exploited. And I found the 30s just that fascinating as a time, especially one that that could engender conflict and drama. And did you end up doing a lot of research about the 1930s and World War II while riding at the Table of Wolves? Yes, uh, both World War I and World War II, in the interwar period uh, especially, uh, as well as many books on espionage and uh, the tradecraft. But um, I, uh, I read t- uh, probably 20 books on on the 30s. Sorry, you broke up there, so I didn't hear what you said.
Oh, um, I said I probably uh, read uh, 20 books on on the 30s, uh, World War One, and um, and espionage. Was there anything that particularly uh, surprised you in the research that you did that, that maybe made it into the books or maybe didn't even make it into the books but surprised you? Well, yes. Um, I, I was quite taken with the notion that people, uh, having gone through World War I, where so many lives were lost, and the, the trauma, especially for England, of every family having lost one, two, or even three sons in the war, how it overshadowed uh, the 30s. And while Hitler was building up his his military and moving into an aggressive position, uh, people just could not bear to know the truth that another conflict was coming. And so it was a time of people uh, unable, you know, being willfully blind to this existential threat of, of Nazism. And I also loved the, um, the fictional opportunities presented by all these, all these conflicts. But as to the surprise, um, the surprise to me was that even though this was an interwar period, there was a shadow war, espionage and deception. So I, I loved the idea that that was going on and uh, I hadn't quite... Uh, understood how how fraught the thirties were with 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 conflict and spying. Hmm, interesting. So you you have a second book, Serpent and the Heather, slated for publication in April twenty eighteen. Will there be other books in the series beyond the first two? Well, no plans at the moment, but it uh, it could certainly go on. Uh, the the shtick for the second book is that my uh, major character Kim Stapp. Tavistock, who is a, kind of a citizen sleuth, um, has another adventure, another another Nazi operation that must be uncovered. And so I can see that going on. And uh, it has, as I say, I think the 30s has just kind of limitless potential for uh, drama and conflict. And I would look forward to writing more books in the series. But uh, right now we're working on the second one. Sure. So your books and short stories have been science fiction or fantasy. What what attracts you to writing science fiction and fantasy? The imaginative leaps that that you can make, and uh, I I th- I think you get hooked on science fiction and fantasy when when you're young, and somehow through your adult years, it just maintains this pull and mystique that. Um, you enter worlds that have never been seen before. I have always had a life was deeper than what appears. And I, I think fantasy and science fiction give you a chance to kind of penetrate what could things be like if the, just this veil were parted or that. So I'm just interested in it from a, a kind of a mysteries standpoint. And also, um, in science fiction and fantasy, you have an opportunity to really make um, conflict and the uh, war between good and evil uh, more present. And so you have a chance to up the stakes. And uh, the fatal flaw fiction, in my view, is not bad writing, but um, to be boring. So <laughs> science fiction and fantasy, I think, give you a chance to escape that. 
Sure. So um, what uh, advice do you have for aspiring writers who may be listening and want to have their own stories or novels published one day? I think it would be uh, to uh, to be patient. People nowadays they want they want instant publication. They they want to put out their first thing and and have it published. Uh, I think in that case the the good news is you get your book published, but the bad news is that your book is published <laughs> because it it might not be your best effort uh, if you had. Um, Acquiring editor, uh, uh, serving as a, a gateway into the into the publishing world, you might be pushed to work a little harder, and uh, you know, raise your craft up to the next level. It took me eight years to break in. I don't recommend that as a uh, a path necessarily, but uh, I think people. Uh, should not be surprised and be prepared psychologically to uh, put in your ten thousand hours of uh, of study and writing and uh, and and not uh, try to um, rush. And so, what and so, what kept you going during those eight years? I have no idea. I I know that there's a a mystique about writing and a sense that it is an exotic uh, life and people just have a, an image of how wonderful it's going to be. And I felt that way too. Uh, what can I make of my life that would be exciting and different? And uh, I, I was just that, that determined to uh, penetrate this industry and see my name there with other people. Uh, writers whose work I've been following for decades. So uh, it's, but in, in the end, you don't know what keeps you going, uh, wh- why you reach for that golden ring, um, despite so many obstacles, actually, that they're hard of publication. So what books, fiction or nonfiction, have you read recently that made an impression on you and that you would recommend? Well, um, I I loved um, let's say Ian uh, Tregellis, who wrote the the mechanical. It's a story of a of a robot with consciousness. I just thought it was beautifully beautifully written. Um, I just finished reading a fantasy that I quite loved called The Bear and the Nightingale. Forgetting the author right now, but it's based on Russian mythology, which is a lovely. A lovely change. Uh, speaking of books on mythology, uh, Naomi Novak's uh, "Uprooted" uh, is just a just a delight. In uh, in non science fiction and fantasy, I'm a big fan of Alan First, uh, who uh, writes uh, uh, espionage novels. I could recommend "The Spies of Warsaw" or um, his "Night Soldiers" books. I have a long list of espionage novels. Not sure our readership will. <laughs> your your listenership wants to hear all of those, but um, um, yeah, I'm just I I'm I'm enjoying reading books on World War One that are 
that are set there. Uh, this isn't a recent book, but I, I loved Kim Newman's The Bloody Red Baron. It's just mm-hmm. a wonderful take on vampires in the in the First World War. And um, it's just absolutely uh, one of my favorites. Great. So where can people find you online if they're interested in learning more about you and your books? Well, my website, uh, kkenyon.com. And, uh, yeah, and I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Facebook, but yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to, uh, connect with, with, uh, with readers in those forums. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Kay Kenyon, her new novel at the table of wolves is in bookstores now. So go grab a copy or buy the ebook and Kay, thanks for doing this interview. Well, thank you, Jeff. It was a delight. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.